Welcome to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast. We share sermons, teachings, and messages from St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm Father Andrew, the senior pastor at the church, and I'm glad you're listening today. You're always invited to worship in person on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10 a.m. and on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. You can also visit us online at stbarnabas.us. That's S-T-B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S dot U-S. And now, enjoy the podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Probably the most meaning-filled events in the entire New Testament are found in the account of the Last Supper that we celebrate tonight on Monday, Thursday. The lessons taught on this final night of Jesus' life are arguably the most important lessons the disciples or any of us, will learn in this lifetime. Tonight's message is about unconditional love. Unconditional love formed out of humility. It's centered around Luke's account of the Last Supper, which Jesus records, or Luke records, the disciples were still arguing about which of them was the greatest. Jesus' disciples were still obsessed with their own dignity, honor, and elevation. They must have deeply grieved the Lord as once again they revealed their weakness and spiritual indolence on the very last night of his life. Their arguing sets the scene and puts into motion Jesus' humble expression of his never-ending love for his own still in the world, which includes all of us today. The purpose of this discourse in chapter 13, and actually in the next four chapters of John's Gospel, are to reveal and model a new commandment for all believers. That new commandment shapes our Christian life. And it is what we want to focus on tonight, on this final night of Jesus' life. And it is found in this rich 13th chapter, in the verses that we heard read in verses 34 and 35, where Jesus says to his disciples and each of us on that night these words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love and have love for one another. Another lecture may have worked here, but Jesus had done that and had very little success. You can't lecture love into someone, can you? We know better than that. So how do you teach people to love? Well, the only effective way is by a loving example. Keep in mind, Jesus knew that these men were going to have to teach the first century church how to love one another. How would they do that? With a lecture or by loving them? 
Jesus knew his disciples and all of us tonight needed an example as well. A model. So Jesus himself became a model of true biblical love for us all on the last night of his life. Biblical love is completely unselfish love. And that's not always true of human love as we well know. Biblical love in its purest form is fully committed to the joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment of others. At any cost, at any point, at any sacrifice. That's the kind of love that Jesus commands us to model as his disciples. But before his disciples or any of us are able to love and serve in that biblical capacity, we must first be stripped of our pride, our egos, our self-seeking, our self-serving, our self-centered, fallen human natures. And that, my friends, as we all know, is a process. A process that usually occurs through humility, which can often be painful, like a pay cut, or a layoff, or even a pandemic that we're experiencing in our world today. We see the relationship between humility and love fully manifest and most dramatically displayed in what happens tonight at the Last Supper and tomorrow afternoon when Jesus will go to the cross and die for all our sins. Jesus had already humbled himself by even coming here and living among us as one of us. But at this Last Supper, by washing the disciples' feet and then going to the cross the next day like a common thief for our sins, he showed us that humility is the full extent of his love for his own. Try to imagine for just a moment. Imagine for a moment what it must have been like when Jesus rose from the table during the Passover meal and removed his robe and then tied a towel around his waist and began washing and drying his disciples' feet one by one. It's very difficult for us to wrap our minds around that today. A dear friend of mine by the name of Gary Selman is a very well-known career coach and author. And he told me this story about leading a corporate leadership conference one time in Houston before hundreds of CEOs and corporate leaders of some of the largest corporations in the world. In Gary's presentation that day, titled A Call to Action, Leading with a Servant's Heart, he stressed the critical need for a new corporate leadership model, a model guided by humility and generosity, not power, greed, and arrogance. At the most critical moment in his presentation, Gary stepped off the stage and approached the executive audience and said, Jesus provided us the great example, form of this leadership at the Last Supper. As he said those words, he then knelt down on one knee and reached out with both arms to a corporate executive on the very front row and asked him this question. May I wash your feet? Total silence fell across the room. Gary then stood up and asked this convicting question. As leaders, whose feet have you washed lately? All eyes then gazed down at the floor revealing their answer. I have since envisioned that at every single conference I have ever attended with corporate leadership. It set in my mind what must have looked like that night 
in the looks of everyone's faces. So now we back up 2,000 years. What many people miss in this Passover meal is the fact that it was already underway when Jesus got up and began to wash their feet. The protocol was to do that before they started. So imagine for a moment what a surprise that must have been. Imagine what Judas was thinking. Imagine how shamed and surprised they all were thinking, I should have done that. We know that Peter was shocked. He reacted for the group as he usually did, trying to stop Jesus, saying in verse 8, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's words bring to light a very good teaching point worth examining right here. It's not always so easy receiving. In fact, it's hard to receive, isn't it? Many often experience that very feeling at the foot washing that is done on this night. And we hope that you are doing that at home tonight as well. The truth is, it's often harder to receive than it is to give, isn't it? Why is that? Have you ever really thought about that question? The answer is receiving is humbling. Receiving reveals our own personal need. Receiving breaks down our sense of self-sufficiency. Receiving means trusting someone else. Receiving from Jesus means we're admitting we need a Savior. It means acknowledging that our world is broken. It means acknowledging that we are part of the broken ugliness. It also means that we must be willing to confess our own sins daily. It means that we need to be cleansed. It's on this night that we reflect on the vows that are said when we were washed in the waters of baptism. It's on this night that we can once again rejoice in knowing that we are washed by Jesus' cleansing blood daily as we confess our sins. Or as John will later say in his first letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though, like Peter, we may not always want to receive from Jesus, the path to humility calls for us first to receive before we can love and give. After all, it's only through humbly receiving that we are changed, that our hearts are turned. And we draw closer to Jesus, in fact, uncomfortably close. Just like the disciples, Jesus gets right there before us and asks us to humbly receive, cleansing us from the dirt and grime of our lives, our feet, and our souls. Friends, once we receive from Jesus and from others, our hearts begin to turn. They turn toward Him and others. And only then are we no longer afraid to admit our own failings, our own shortcomings and our own weaknesses. And it's at that point that we have been washed. We no longer have to defend our false status, our egos, or pretend that we're something we are no longer really are or ever have been. It's at that point a sense of freedom and peace washes over us. The Creator, the Creator, stoops down before us to cleanse His own creation. It turns the world upside down. Or rather, it turns it right side up. Of course, the poor disciples that night didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Or really even the intent. In fact, Jesus even tells us 
tonight back in verse 7, what I'm doing for you, you don't now know, but afterward you will understand. Jesus knew he would have to start with their feet, but he also knew that one act would start a gradual transformation within their hearts. And once they reached the other side of the cross, they would fully be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they would fully understand with both their hearts and their minds. So this path to humility Jesus takes the disciples on started with washing their feet. It affected their hearts and eventually changed their minds. Friends, humility is love which is lived and learned as we become more conformed to Jesus' likeness day by day. We're tempted to think that humility is a state of being, a spiritual mindset that we can somehow eventually come to or achieve, but it's not. Our humility journeys are instead very personal, which make them messy. They're relational, which means they take time. They're practical, which means they're very hard and nearly impossible to fake. They're experiential, which means we have to learn as we go, and we do in life. Once we have freely received from Jesus, we too are, are to bid to take this journey on the path of humility. And in doing so, our hearts are changed and we're sanctified. We can see the world through compassionate eyes, often for maybe the first time. What does it look like when Jesus kneels down before you? What does your path to humility look like? My path cut through the doors of AA, through having to work second jobs after pay cuts in my profession. It showed up in losing valuable property that we had planned to retire at. But they were all humility lessons, and they were all difficult and painful. But they were all also transformational. It's not just for special or super spiritual people because there aren't any. There's only us, you and I, because you and I become the hands and feet of Jesus, my friends. And He calls us to take our hands and humble ourselves by using them to serve others, and as we try this pathway of humility, our hearts will continue to change, enabling us to love and relate to others on a biblical level. The very same pride that filled Peter, who tried to stop Jesus from washing his feet, and later that night denied even knowing Jesus three times, he would later say these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, love each other deeply. Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Friends, it's through life's humility lessons that Jesus promises us blessing. The blessing found in humility isn't a separate reward that God gives us later because we're humbly serving Him. The blessing, my friends, is the humility itself. The blessing is the humility itself. Humility is the foundation on which biblical love is manifest. It opens our souls to God and to one another. We can't know the joy found in leaving behind our egos or the joy found in reaching out our hands in biblical love until we let go and learn humility. C.S. Lewis once said, true humility is not thinking less about yourself, 
It's thinking about yourself less. Humility moves us from isolation to compassion, even if it's virtual today. It moves us from disorientation to focus. It moves us from powerful, prideful paralysis to action. It moves us from brokenness to healing and wholeness. And it all begins, it all begins when we allow Jesus to kneel before us and wash our feet as a humble servant. It only happens, folks, when we're willing to receive. And once we have received, Jesus then hands the towel in the basin to us. And He commands us. He doesn't ask us. He commands us to love one another as He has loved us, as He has modeled for us. How can we love as He loves us? By helping others when it's not convenient. By giving to others when it really does hurt. By devoting our time and energy to others rather than ourselves. By absorbing hurt from others without complaining or fighting back. As we all know, that kind of biblical love is not easy. Which is why people notice it when we do it. It's not easy so they notice it when we are living it. That's how we put Christianity on display as disciples. Or as Jesus tells us in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love and have love for one another. That, friends, is biblical love. That's the love we're commanded to have for one another. And when we do, we receive the promise that we heard Jesus make in verses 16 and 17. Jesus tells us, Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Did you hear that? Blessed are you if you do them. Anybody listening tonight need to cash in on that divine promise that Jesus made so long ago, the very last night of his life? Anybody listening need God to open heaven and pour out a blessing or a healing right now? Then recommit tonight. Recommit tonight to keep the commandment that Jesus asked us on the last night of his life before going to the cross and dying for all of us the next day. Friends, on the very last night of Jesus' life, He said to each one of us, He said to you this night, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Blessed are those who hear the words of this command and obey them tells us may you be blessed may you be blessed may the gospel be lived out through your life as you serve the Lord daily may you do so and exalt Christ daily in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Thank you for listening to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast May the Lord bless you and keep you this week and we'll see you next time This episode of the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast is copyright 2020, 
St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas, all rights reserved.